You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. I invite Father Philip up. Father Philip is um, preaching for us today. Um, he is a regular member of our congregation, but he kind of sneaks in. You don't necessarily know that he's a priest unless you actually sit and talk to him. So I was gone at the diocesan uh, gathering all of this week, and so Father Philip agreed to preach um, on these very simple, easy-to-handle texts that we have (laughs) before us this morning. Um, And so um, I'd like to pray with him and and then let him bring you the word. Um, Father, I, I give you thanks for, for Father Philip. Um, I give you thanks for his presence here in our congregation. I give you thanks for his life that is seeking after you. Uh, God, I give you thanks for the wisdom that you have given him. And ask that he shares your word with us today, um, that he would be speaking words that are holy and good that you have given to him, and that we would hear them and receive them as, as the word of life that is given to us. And I ask that you would bless this time um, as, we, as we come to hear from you, from Jesus and, and from your apostles, um, of what you would have us do. God, that you would empower us with your spirit to obey, even as you empower Father Philip to, to bring that word to us. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yeah, I got the easy text. Um, <clears throat> When I read these uh, readings for today, initially, I'll tell you the truth, my mind is just all over the place as to how do you approach this. Um, You know, we've got Valentine's Day coming up here in two days, and one would have liked to have had all kinds of lovey-dovey readings (laughs) that that would just kind of lend themselves perfectly. But that just didn't happen to be the case. Um, So what really struck me was that with Valentine's and the very sentimental way in which we all tend to think of Valentine's Day uh, in our modern-day society, um, seemed rather jarring to read what we have in our lectionary today. But, you know... Father Jeremy pointed out in a sermon a few weeks ago, quite beautifully, that if you're going to believe Jesus, if you're going to really believe, if you're going to say you believe in Jesus, then you've got to believe what Jesus says. And we have no reason to doubt that what we have in our Bibles were the true, accurate words of what Jesus said. So we can't look away. We can't ignore them. And to be honest, let's face it, you all know this. This is one of the things that makes it so difficult today for Christianity, Orthodox Christianity in our society, because people don't want to hear a lot of these things. This is not what makes you feel good. And consequently, and let's face it, that's been one of the problems of the modern-day church is that there have been too many church leaders who are more concerned with 
adapting Christianity to society than they are trying to work on bringing society back into Christianity. So we're not going to ignore what is in these readings today. We're going to face them head on, but I'm going to present them to you in a way that I think, with being true to the text, I'm going to show you that, in fact, these are actually words of encouragement and hope and true love. I mean, if we want to talk about Valentine's Day being a day of love, then fine. Here we go. This will be our Valentine's Day sermon. Um, I noticed it was interesting that in the bulletin today, the first reading is listed as being from the book of Ecclesiasticus. The name Ecclesiasticus actually stems from the fact that this was put into the Bible as, well, it was initially used by the church uh, in Rome, and so everything was in Latin. Ecclesiasticus is the Latin name for this book. The Hebrew and Greek name for this book is the Wisdom of Sirach. Now, I like that because, number one, it tells us who wrote it, and number two, it keeps us from being confused between Ecclesiasticus and Ecclesiastes, which are totally different books. But if you're not aware of that and you suddenly come across Ecclesiasticus, you wonder, is this just another name for Ecclesiastes, which it's not. The book of Sirach was written by a man by the name of Ben Sirach. And his actual full name was Jeshua of Eleazar of Sirach, which means that he was the son of Eleazar, who was the son of Sirach. But Sirach was the family name, and the Greeks, uh, which it was originally published in Greek, called it the Wisdom of Sirach. It's what falls into a category of books that are called the Wisdom Books. Now, in the canon, uh, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes are considered canonical, and these are wisdom books. You know, they're not books about, uh, you know, the, the history of Israel or, uh, or that sort of thing. Th these are books of wisdom. And there are other books of wisdom uh, that are apocryphal besides the book of Sirach. But the book of Sirach was used extensively by the church in its early years because it has such really good, solid wisdom in it. Um, the primary point of what we read today is that we're the one responsible for our sins, not God. Verse 14 uh, expresses a veracity which needs to be emphasized more today. We've all heard the cry after some tragedy has occurred I mean, you've heard this, and honestly, it, I think it crosses our own minds, too. How can God allow something like this to happen? You know, how can a good God allow these things? This is the reason which is given by so many people who have drifted away from the church, who are now just spiritual, if you will. They're just not sure about God. They've become agnostic. Maybe they've become atheist, or they are atheists to start with. And they use this kind of a thing to, that's their, that's their reason for having gone away. But, see, this is where Ben Shirah 
really makes a very strong point. He addresses this when he states that God created humans and he left them in the power of their own inclinations. Left them in the power of their own inclinations, our own inclinations. We love having control over our lives. God granted control over the lives to Adam and Eve. And look what they did. They just promptly chose to do the one thing God told them not to do. But they had the choice. They didn't have to listen to the serpent, but they did. So that failure came down on all creation. And it's expressed in the multitude of afflictions we face every day. Diseases that we contract. Harm that we inflict on others, knowingly or unknowingly. And all the sins we commit by omission or commission. Sirah says in verse 17, Before each person are life and death. And whichever one chooses will be given. So it's the blessing and the curse of free will. That's what Sarah's talking about here. We love free will when it works to our comfort, when it works to our benefit. We love that. But then when it works against us, well, that's when we're all ready to get after God. What kind of a God is this? This is the price of free will. And as he also says in verse 20, he has not commanded anyone to be ungodly. He didn't command it. It's our choice. We're the ones responsible for it. So let's not kid ourselves. Okay, let's turn now to Paul's letter to 1 Corinth. Now, for the last couple of Sundays, um, Father Jeremy had the luxury of talking about the Beatitudes, which is wonderful because we love the Beatitudes, all right? But uh, unfortunately, that's not the section that we get in our gospel today. But first, as I said, I want to, I want to go to Corinth because as I started off saying, we have these difficulties today with trying to make the, as, as I said, we we, we have to resist the temptation to try to make the gospel adapt to the culture. And this is exactly what Paul was facing in Corinth. Now, this is a very sophisticated group of people sitting here today, and I know many of you are quite knowledgeable about all sorts of aspects of the Bible. And so if I say something here that sounds just simplistic, I apologize. I am one of those guys that when I grew up, grew up in the church, going to church every Sunday with mom and dad, and, you know, I've been reading sections from Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians all my life because they've always been in the Bible, all these letters. And as I always like to say in these sermons, it's too easy for us to simply think of all this in a very abstract way. So I want to give a little bit of flesh and blood to this letter to the Corinthians, okay? I'm going to back off here for a few seconds. Not a few seconds, you know me. It's going to be for several minutes. Um, and I'm going to talk about Corinth. Where was it? What was it? 
what made Corinthians? What were these people like? Because this is the one that, these are the people Paul's writing to. First of all, did you know Corinth is still around? It's not one of those ancient cities that just, you know, finally, you know, evaporated and just went off into just oblivion. It's still there today. It sits in Greece. It's a Grecian city. It's about halfway between Athens to the east and Sparta to the west. Interestingly enough, it sits on an isthmus, which you'll remember is a bridge of land that connects two much larger bodies. And in this case, the bulk of Greece lies to the east of Corinth, and the peninsula called the Peloponnese is to the west, actually the southwest. Corinth is sitting right in this little land bridge that connects those two. It had two effects for the Corinthians, for what it meant to live in Corinth. Number one, it had the full influence of Athenian wisdom. I mean, if you want to talk about the great classical philosophers of all times, you first start talking about the Greeks. And these men were all in Athens and in that area. And Corinth was very influenced by this because they weren't that far from Athens. The other thing about Corinth is that, as I said, it's part of a land bridge. There are huge seas on either side. And you know what used to be done, commerce, just commercially? Goods and products and uh, food products, you know, the, the produce, that sort of thing. What people would do is they would ship it to Corinth on one side, load it onto uh, uh, carts, and then pull it just a couple of miles across to the other side of Corinth, and there put it on other ships that were in the other sea, and then take off again. That way they could save a ton of money and time shipping products. In other words, go through Corinth. So Corinth became a huge financial center. It was a, um, extremely important for all sorts of, uh, of, of military interests. By the time we get to where Paul has written to the Corinthians, just two centuries before, the Romans had conquered Corinth as part of conquering Greece. And they had to destroy the entire town because the thing was so well defended and has such a natural defense that in order to actually conquer the towns, the Romans had to totally destroy it. But the town was so important that the first thing the Romans did after they took control was rebuild it because they needed it and they knew they needed it. The, the take-home point here is Corinthians weren't just a bunch of backwater yokels. We're dealing with people that were sophisticated, knowledgeable, wealthy. That's who the Corinthians were. Actually, here's a little side fact. The city of Corinth is the location of a natural water spring called Peria. Now, you're thinking, gee, I've never heard of Peria. 
I've never heard of the Pyrian Spring, but I'll bet you have. You just don't know it. Here's what you have heard. You've heard it said, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. You've heard that, haven't you? Okay. Let me tell you what the entire verse is. A little knowledge, actually it's a little learning, is a dangerous thing. Drink deeply or taste not the Pyrian spring. Where shallow drafts intoxicate the brain. But drinking large sobers us again. That's Alexander Pope. It was published in 1711. Okay? Just so you'll know when you hear that phrase. So see, you actually did know the Pyrian Spring. You just didn't know that that's where you know it from. Okay, so this is why it's so interesting the way Paul approaches these people. Last week, our epistle lesson was from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. And there, here's what Paul said. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. See, that's almost antithetical to the way that you think he would approach them. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He reiterates this approach as not just simple, but almost simplistic when he says in this morning's reading, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. In other words, he's not trying to dazzle them with academic prowess, and I'll bet you he could have. Paul was smart enough that he could have, but he must have made a, a pointed decision not to do it that way, not to try to do it that way. And frankly, that's the way I think you and I need to look at it because this is the kind of society we face today, wealthy, educated, you know, important, that's the society we face. That's what Paul was facing. And yet interesting, isn't it, that he decided not to use, I'm sure, his knowledge of Greek philosophy and, you know, deep Hebraic theology. He didn't use that. He's going at it with just the simple truth of Jesus. So I don't think that Paul was naive about the challenges in Corinth. I think he knew exactly what he was facing there. And so what are we facing today? Well, we're facing today a gospel lesson that really, when you read it out of context, if, congratulations if you don't squirm. I know I do. I mean, that sounds so damning with what Jesus says in today's lessons. And this is just, but this is the thing about, I know we're not really truly taking it out of context because we, you know, we come to church every week, we read these things, and we sit down and we read our, our, our Bible, you know, not just in little tiny bits, but in broader sections. And so 
You have to remember that all of this is part of a dissertation that Jesus gives to the disciples on the mountainside. The Beatitudes is one part of it. And although it seems like he does a 180 you know, from, from, from the comforting words of the Beatitudes to what he says in today's reading, I don't think he really was. Because if we go back just a little bit earlier than what we read today, what Jesus says beginning in chapter 5 of today's lesson is, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So then Jesus proceeds to enumerate various Old Testament laws. Okay? So we're moving now back into the Old Testament laws. And what he's doing is he's bringing to our attention the true intent of the laws. Murder, one of the first things he talks about, stems from anger. Adultery stems from lust. Swearing oaths stems from the untruthfulness that is present in our lives. He's showing us that the laws which are intended to, cur to curb some of our base desire desires will simply be unnecessary in the kingdom of heaven in which these human frailties don't exist. So the message in today's gospel is really one of hope and eternal blessing. If we've been guilty of anger, insulting others, lust, divorce, or swearing an oath, we're not, going to, we're not just supposed to give up and conclude, oh my gosh, I'm beyond hope. That's not what Jesus is saying. Rather, we are to strive daily to curb these all-too-human deficiencies, knowing that in the coming kingdom of God, these corruptions will be vanquished, and we will live out the perfection of true righteousness. So, Shirah reminds us that it is we who act ungodly, not God. Paul points out that we are to work towards God's kingdom, but realize that only God can bring it about. And Jesus tells us that although we act in ungodly manner at times, we are to rejoice in the knowledge that when God's kingdom comes to pass, all of this ungodliness will vanish, and we will then bask in the pure righteousness of God. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.